you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Let's remind ourselves of that first Easter morning. Luke 24, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them, who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of living lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Lord, as we open your word, speak to each one of us today. We thank you today on this Easter Sunday. But Lord, we want to hear from you. Our hearts and minds are open, Spirit of God. Speak to each one of us, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. Let me ask you something today. What do you truly believe in? What do you truly believe in? Not the facades. I know you're in church, so the answer's got to be Jesus, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those moments when you're by yourself. There's no one else around you. And you look inside, deep within you, what is it that you truly believe in? What are those inner convictions that you have that nothing will change, that circumstances can't touch? Because that is the core of who you are. Those foundations that you hang on to. The rocks that you cling to when the waves of life come tumbling over you. What is that? George Foreman, you know him of waffle maker fame? Well, he was once a boxer before he made it really big in waffles. He was a two-time heavyweight boxing champion of the world. At the age of 45, he became the oldest man in the world to win a title. And in his book, God in My Corner, he writes this. He said, when I was in the ring during my comeback... The announcers often introduced me as the former heavyweight champion of the world. And as they would introduce me as the former heavyweight champion of the world, I would mumble to myself, and the next heavyweight champion of the world. Because he said, how could I ever win that title back again if I didn't believe it? If I didn't believe that I could? If you've had a dream, a great dream that you're attempting to fulfill in your life, you've got to believe it can happen before you actually do it. 
He said, I wasn't trying to be proud. I simply believed what God had promised me, that I would regain the title. That's the kind of inner foundational what you believe in. And that was the question that was faced on that first Easter morning. The women, as we've just read, ran to the tomb or went to the tomb with their spices that they prepared, expecting to see, I don't know what, expecting that the stone was there. I don't quite know why they took spices. But they went and they found the stone and rolled away and the tomb was empty. And it says in verse 4, then they started to wonder, what's going on? This is not what we expected to find. And then in verse 5, it said that fear gripped them when these two angels appeared. And they went from that wondering to that fear, and then to an expectation when the angels there said, hey, he's not here, he's gone, just as he said he would go, so he's gone. So they had this expectation, maybe, surely, is this true? And then it comes down to verse 8 where they have that personal understanding. Because then they remembered the words of Jesus and said, hey, this is what Jesus said was going to happen. So let me just go. He's not here. I remember it's all starting to fall into place now. So they went back and they told the disciples those faithful believers of Jesus. And what was their response? Unbelief. They said, well, can't be true. We're not going to believe you. Why would we believe you? I mean, I know you've been there and everything and what you say, but no. I don't know. You must have, been, must have had something the night before. I don't know. Maybe you need some more sleep. I don't know. Something's not right. But within Peter, there must have been a spark of hope. Well, I don't believe her, but let me go check it out. Jimmy Evans said this. He said, God puts giants in the promised land to keep the unbelievers out. Do you remember when the people of Israel were ready to go into the promised land? All they could see were giants. We'll look at that a bit later. And because of their unbelief, They never made it. When you face those giants, what are the foundations? What are the things that you cling on to above everything else? What is it that you truly believe in? We've been looking together about how we pray like Jesus. The disciples in Luke 11 asked that question. Teach us to pray. They knew how to pray. They've been going to the temple ever since they were knee-high to a grasshopper. And there they would go. So they learned all the prayers. They knew them off by heart. But in Jesus, they saw something completely different. They said, Jesus, we want to pray like you. We want to pray so that the sick can be healed, so that the dead can be raised, so that we can take, you know, in that moment, a couple of fish and loaves and transform and feed so many multitudes. We want to pray. We want to have that kind of prayer life, not the prayer life that we learned. And so they said, Jesus, teach us. Teach us to pray like you. 
And we've been looking over the last few weeks as we've gone through Lent about how we can pray like Jesus and what we need to do. And we said there are a number of criteria that we need to look at. And the last one we're going to look at today, turn back in your Bibles to Mark 11. Because on that first Easter morning, those disciples, those women were rocked to the very core. And that question was asked of them, what is it that you really believe in? Do you believe in the words of Jesus, what he said to you? Do you believe what he said, that he's going to go and die and then rise again? Is that the core of what you believe? Or do you believe something else? Mark 11, verse 22 says this, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. This is a promise of Jesus to each one of us. Now let's just look at that for a moment before we go back to the disciples. There's three aspects that Jesus says that we need to have here. First, have faith in God. Now faith, we know from Hebrews 11 verse 1, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of not what we don't see. So it's being sure and certain. Faith is being absolutely sure, absolutely certain of something that you don't yet have. That's what faith is all about. And here it says, have faith in God. Be sure, be certain about the character of God, the person of God, what God says he is, who he says he is, and what he says he wants to do in and through your life. Be sure, be certain, have that kind of faith in God. Now to do that, you have to know God. You know, prayer is a reflection of your faith. You know that? Prayer is a reflection of your faith. Think about what you pray for in your own times, right? When no one else is around, when you're just talking to Jesus, what do you pray for? Because in that moment, it will reflect the level of faith that you have. Alexander the Great, he was walking along the road one day, and he, said, he saw this beggar on the street. And the beggar looked up and he said, Emperor, can you spare a few copper coins? And Alexander turned around. I don't know if he carried money, but he turned around to get some money. And he grabbed a few gold coins and he threw them down to the, the beggar in the street. And his entourage around him said, whoa, 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 that's a bit generous. You don't even know what he's going to go spend it on. How do you know it's going to be like, whoa, he only asked for copper coins. What are you doing? Alexander said, copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. How many times do we pray for copper coins when our Heavenly Father wants to give us gold? How many times? Do you catch yourself praying for small copper things when he's sitting there going, 
David, I want to give you gold blessings, not copper blessings in your life. I have all this wealth, I have all this, this abundance of blessing, this wealth of blessing I want to pour through you, and you're asking for copper. And I deal in gold and platinum and emeralds and all these other things. Ask me. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. What are we asking God for? Do we ask out of the bigness of our faith or the smallness of our faith? Do we ask God for big things or do we ask God for the minuscule? Prayer is a reflection of your faith. Next time you pray, think about what you're praying for. And think about what you're saying and what you're believing in God. What does your prayer say about God? How are you honoring God through your prayers? Another example from Alexander the Great. Wish I'd known him. He was a wealthy and generous guy. A philosopher that was in his keeping came, said to Alexander one day, he said, I need some money. He said, I'm, I'm a good philosopher, but I'm a lousy at keeping money. I've run out. And Alexander listened to him and he said, go to the treasury and draw whatever you need. Wouldn't that be nice if the British government sent you a letter that said, go to the Bank of England, draw whatever you need. We will print it for you. That's what happened. So this philosopher went to the treasurer. And he asked for 10,000 pounds of gold. Pounds weight, not pounds Sterling, 10,000 pounds of gold. And the treasurer, being a good treasurer, said, what? No chance. Who do you think you are coming asking for that? It's an absolute fortune. Not a chance. And he scurried out. He said, wait here. I'm going to go and consult with Alexander myself. So he went off to Alexander. And he said, sir, this philosopher guy that you sent, he came and asked for 10,000 pounds of gold. What am I supposed to do? And Alexander thought for a moment, and then he said this. He said, pay the money at once. The philosopher has done me a great honor. First, he believed in my word. Secondly, he believed in my wealth. And third, he believed in my willingness to do what I said I would do. Give him the money. Because he had faith in my words. Do you believe in God's word? Do you believe in God's capability? Do you believe in God's willingness to answer? Are your prayers copper or are they gold? Have faith in God, Jesus said. If you, want, if you want to be able to pray like Jesus, you need to have that kind of faith in God. Jesus wasn't ever fearful about what he asked his heavenly father for. Never. Lord, 
Lazarus needs to be raised from the dead. I know you can do it. Raise him. I know he's been dead three days. He's smelling really bad. You can still do it. Lord, this woman caught in adultery, she needs protection. Speak through me into the hearts of these people that want to stone her to death. Bring her protection. Give her a second chance. Lord, this guy with leprosy, heal him and cleanse him. Send him on his way. Lord, these people that are blind or can't walk, heal them. Jesus had that faith in God, his Father, to be an instrument through which God would flow. And that's the kind of faith that you and me need to have. Have faith in God. But he carries on. He says, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he said will happen, it will be done for him. Second thing you've got to do after you have faith is you have to speak. You speak to the mountains. Now, I've never seen anybody stand there and say, Harrow on the hill, be gone to Hertfordshire. You know, you're in my way. It would be kind of ridiculous. But what he's saying is we have to have that kind of faith, that kind of, we have to speak it out loud. He said, and not doubt in the core of who we are. You see, there is power in word. You know, you spend on average, they say, a fifth of your life talking. Did you know that? Some people more than that. Some less. They reckon you, you speak about 50 pages a day of a book, right? That's what you do. Over a year, that's 200, uh, no, 132 volumes of 200-page books. That's what you speak. Now think about the number of words that you're saying. There is power in words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what did he say? He said, let there be. He spoke and the world came into being. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus, when he healed anybody, when he ministered, what did he do? He spoke the word. He didn't, he didn't ever do it in silence. He never went up and said, Omar, I know that you've got this, you know, this problem. Let me just pray for you. And the Bible says there was a massive pause while he prayed. No. He spoke the word to the individual. Because it's through speaking the word that it happens. He said, if you say to this mountain, if you say to the mountains that you're facing, whatever that challenge is, you have to speak to it so that God will work, so that God will flow. Now the danger, there is a real danger in speaking, isn't there? Because when you speak to a mountain, what happens to the people around you? Well, they'll either be for you or they'll start criticizing you. That's what happens when we speak things out. What happens when you say something? When the minister of the church says, you know what we need to do? We need to do the sanctuary. God said we need to build a balcony. We need to do the dais. What happens? You get those that go, amen to that, praise God. And you get those that go, 
you got to be kidding. What do we need a balcony for? Right? You speak to any mountain, you will have people around you that will come and criticize you and go, you're crazy. You need to speak it out, though. You see, if you don't speak it out, God doesn't work. You need to have that confidence and that courage. Have faith in God. If you have faith in God, what are you worried about? So what if they don't believe? You know, they don't have the power to do it anyway. So why are you worrying about them? Who are you going to trust in? Are you having faith in God? If you have faith in God and he's asking you to do this, you speak it out in that confidence. You speak it out because of your faith. You see, there's power in the word. Let's go back to Numbers 13. That's where the people of Israel, they're at Kadesh Barnea. They've just gone traveling around a little bit just for a couple of years. And they were ready to go into the promised land. And so Moses says, let's send out some spies. Let's go check it out. Go get some of the fruits and everything else. See what they got. See what this wonderful promised land is really like. And so he sent out 12 spies. And when they came back, what happened? Ten of them said, oh, it's beautiful out there. It's like the rolling hills of Hertfordshire. It's gorgeous. You know? It's not a Harrow Town Center. It's beautiful. Hills and greenery and sheep and cows and water and fruit. and Oh, it's amazing. And they even brought some of it back and showed them and said, hey, look. He said, but there's one problem. These guys are massive and they don't want to leave. So what are we going to do? And they said, we're like grasshoppers compared to them. They're huge. Joshua and Caleb came back. And what did they say? Hey, God's given us this land. We should go and claim it. And what happened? The rest of them, the other 10, started a Oh, no, you should have seen what we saw. And they started to stir it all up amongst the people of Israel. And then everybody turned against Moses, against Joshua and Caleb. And so God said, okay, no promised land for you. You're going to walk around for another 38 years till you're all dead. Faith is believing in advance in something that only will seem logical when seen in reverse. That's what Philip Yancey said. Faith is believing in advance. It's looking forwards in something that will only seem logical to you, will only make sense to you when you are on the other side of it and you look back. You see, we all have mountains to face, all of us. We all have difficulties and challenges in our lives. It may be a loved one that doesn't know Jesus and you're, you're praying for them to come to know Jesus. It may be a relationship that you're in that's, that's really difficult right now. It may be you've got health problems that you're worried about. It may be a jobs or a career or paying the bills or whatever it is. Maybe your children. We have mountains that each one of us face. For our young people, it's probably going to be exams on their horizons. Mountains that they're, they're desperate to do well in. We need to have the courage to speak 
for God and cast those mountains into the sea. And say, Lord, I trust in you and I will speak it out. I will show you the kind of trust that I have. Do you do that when you pray? And it says you speak and you don't doubt in your heart. You don't doubt because you know where the power is going to come from. You and I cannot move mountains. You can try and you'll get worn out. But God will move mountains. That's why you need to know the scriptures. You know the scriptures, you can rely on the promises of God to move those mountains. You say, Jesus said this, God said this, and that mountain has to move. Because it's not doing it in your strength, you're praying in the strength of God. The one who, who is bigger than the mountain, who can move anything. Where's your prayer coming from? You see, we said there were five different keys to praying. First, we have to have that intimacy in our relationship with God, John 15, 7. Remain in me and my word remain in you and then you can ask for anything and it's gonna be given to you. Secondly, you have to pray in the name of Jesus, in the character of Jesus, as though Jesus was actually praying that prayer. So when you pray to the mountain, you're not praying in your strength, you're saying, in Jesus' name, this mountain has to go because Jesus is praying against that mountain. And so it has no choice but to be removed. So you pray in the character, in the person of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, you check your motivation from James 4 verse 3. Sometimes you don't receive answers because you're praying for selfish reasons. You're not praying in the name of Jesus, you're praying in the name of David. This is what I want. This is going to make my life easier. Don't really care what God wants, it's what I want, so that's why I'm going to pray it. God says, then your prayer is not going to be heard. It's going to go nowhere. But if you pray with the right motivation, then you know that your prayer is going to be heard by our Heavenly Father. And last week we looked at forgiveness. You have to pray with a clean heart, it says in Mark 11. Just the verse after what we've written, or what we read today. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. You need to have that holiness, that cleanness inside. Otherwise, you, your prayers are not going to be heard. But if you've got those, if you've got those four keys sorted, then there is no reason to doubt when you pray. You could say to the mountain in your life, be gone, and it will be gone. Look at the promise that he gives us. Verse 24, therefore I tell you, Whenever you ask for, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. There's a present, a past, and a future in that. Whatever you ask for, that's present. Whatever you are praying for right now, he says, believe that you've received it. That's in the past. It's already yours. It's done. It's sorted. And it's going to be yours in the future. It's comprehensive. Whatever you ask for, it's conditional. Believe that you've received it. You have to believe it in your heart. Don't doubt. Believe. And then it's definite. It will be yours. Not it might be yours. It will be yours. Somebody said it's like buying a Christmas present this time of year. 
What do you do if you see a great offer and you think, you know what? That would be brilliant for my wife for Christmas. So I buy it. What do I do with it? Well, I stick it in some closet somewhere at home, somewhere she's not going to find it. Probably the back of the sock drawer or somewhere like that. You hide it, don't you? Now, what is it? It's done. Christmas is sorted as far as my wife is concerned. That's future. Right? I've done it now. It's been done in the past. So when I get to Christmas, it's already there. It's sorted. Past, it's present, and it's future. All wrapped up in one. Done and dusted. And that's like when we pray. When we pray for those mountains, God, we know it's already accomplished. We're just waiting for the fulfillment of it. God will accomplish in his time, in his way, when we pray with that faith. Somebody said it like this, we're to pray in the present with the assurance that God has already granted our request, even though the answer may not come until the future. Today is Easter Sunday, where the power of God to raise his son was shown to each one of us. Ephesians 1.19 says that that power, the same power that God exerted to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, is available to you and to me through prayer. It's there for the asking. It's there as one of the gold things that God the Father wants to give his children. He says that kind of power for whatever mountain you are facing is available. You just need to ask. It's there for you. And he's there longing to give it into your life. But are you asking? Are you asking in the right way? Are you asking out of a relationship connected to the vine in John 15? Are you asking in the name of Jesus as though Jesus Christ was asking himself? Are you asking with the right heart to give honor and glory to the Father? Are you asking out of a heart that is broken and forgiven, been forgiven and forgiven others? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And do you, are you asking, believing in the power of God to bring about change in that situation? If you are, then speak it out. Say it with all the conviction And the power that you can say it with. Don't pray timid prayers. Jesus never prayed a timid prayer. He prayed knowing that his heavenly father could and would and is going to answer. You want to pray like Jesus? In the front of my Bible, I come across different quotes and things and I write them in. Years ago, I wrote this quote from somebody called E.M. Bounds. He said, men and women are God's method. The church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men and women. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Ghost can use, men and women of prayer. Men and women mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not come on machinery, but on people. 
He does not anoint plans, but people, men and women of prayer. The training of the twelve was the great and difficult and enduring work of Christ. It is not great talents or great learning or great preachers that God needs, but people great in holiness, great in faith, great in love, great in fidelity, great for God. Men and women who are always preaching by holy sermons in the pulpit and by holy sermons out of it through their lives. These are the people that can mold a generation for God. God wants that for you and for me. You know what? When we look at these different things about how we pray, God is there helping us and teaching us as much as we need. He wants us to be great in prayer. And that is what he did for those first disciples on that first Easter. He transformed those timid, disbelieving, disillusioned, weak disciples. Once when the women came back, they wouldn't even believe the women who they'd traveled with for three years. People they knew and they loved, they wouldn't even believe their word. But God's Spirit transformed them into people who changed the world. If it hadn't been for those transformed individuals, we would not be here today. Because the Spirit of God transformed them. And if you read in the book of Acts, you'll see what that transformation looked like. The Spirit of God came upon them at Pentecost. But it taught them how to pray like Jesus. In the book of Acts, you see them raising the dead. You see them healing the sick. You see them casting out demons. You see them preaching with power and authority. You see them going about their business and God using them to transform other people's lives. And as God did that through those first disciples, so he's been doing that every generation since. And he wants to do that through you and through me. You want to live in Easter? Then today, allow Christ to come in. Allow his spirit to come in and transform your life of prayer. Think about what it means to pray like Jesus. Look at your own life of prayer and say, Lord, teach me to pray like Jesus. I want to pray like him. I want to have that same authority, that same impact in my life of prayer that I see in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a gold kind of prayer. That's the kind of prayer he wants you to pray. Because then he says, finally, my son, finally, my daughter, allow me to come in and to be your teacher and your guide. And I will lead you and I will show you and I will journey with you so that you can have the kind of impact in the world where I've placed you that I desire for you. You want to pray like Jesus? starts on your knees. As you come today, as we share today in the bread and the wine, 
As you come to the rail and look up to the cross, it's an empty cross because he's no longer there. Ask him, Jesus, teach me to pray like you so that I may bring glory to the Father just as you did. Let's pray. Lord, prayer is so simple. It's just talking and listening to you. It's trusting you. But sometimes we make it so complicated. You say, ask of me, just remain close to me. And then you can ask and I'll do whatever. You say, pray in my name. In accordance with my will, my character, who I am. Then you can ask for anything and it will be given to you. You say to us, check your motivation out. Are you doing it for your own good? Or are you doing it to bring the Father glory? Because even when Jesus was in Gethsemane, it was, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He says, if you have any any need to forgive others, let it go. Be holy as I am holy. That's why I died for you. And he says, speak it out with boldness, with confidence. I have commanded you, be strong, be courageous. For I, the Lord, your God, am with you wherever you go. May we learn what it means to pray like that. For then we will see transformation. Not only in our own lives but in our families, our places of work, our communities, through our neighborhoods, through everywhere that we go. Jesus, teach us to pray like you. For we ask this in your name. Amen.